So, um, yeah, it's your turn. Do you use the mic or a head headset? There's a lot of stuff you can do with the mic, like sound effects you can't do with the headset. But the headset lets me do my belly dances. So there's... The, by the way, this, after we commissioned you, we want the liturgical dance ministry with the banners made of felt. I can do that if you want that. Good morning, guys. I have a lot to say, so... Yes. No, I'm not saying yes to it's your fault, but... Good morning, everybody. It's so wonderful to see you guys, and... It's such an honor to be commissioned into this church. It's already a home to us and you're already a family to us. So like the name and like the label isn't like a big deal, but I feel really grateful to be a part of what we're doing and be a part of all of you guys. I love you guys so much. Um, but yeah, like I said, I have a lot to say, so let's get trucking. Um, as a church, you guys know that we've been entering into like a really long uh, study of Matthew. And so this week, after a couple weeks, we are in drum roll. Thanks, guys. That was, that was pretty lame. I'm sorry. We are in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Matthew. So we're really getting there. We're really, we're really doing it. But yeah, so we, we're really going slow and steady, which is a very central vineyard thing. So I'm really grateful for that. We are having time to look into every character's story which I think is really important as we look at the genealogy of Jesus as we move forward. So, so far we've been discussing the life of Abraham as the father of nations, and we touched a little bit on the life of Isaac. Jake shared um, with us insight on how God is different. He's the God who's different, and he's differentiated from all other gods that we see in the Bible. Um, and we talked a little bit about what God is actually like, and then last week, Jeff shared with us about Abraham and how Jesus wants to occupy every shortcoming that we've received um, through the generations from our family, from our parents, and how, yeah, God says fear not when he is present with us, and we can receive his presence when we practice it. Um, and we've also been looking a little bit at what self-protective behavior leads to in our lives. Um, and as Jeff shared last week, it was really culturally normal in a patriarchal society for men to kind of like outsource pain and suffering to their wives and children, which is wonderful. We love that. Uh, so this week, I want to chat about the life of Isaac. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit about generational sin and trauma, integrity, and then some tools that we can use to figure out what to do with all of it. <laughs> so let's pray. Spirit, we receive everything that you have for us. Be with us today as a nurturer and a comforter. So to be able to discuss the topic of generational sin and trauma, which oftentimes when we see in the Bible, it's considered as blessings and curses, uh, we need to go back to the very, very beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve quickly. But let's first define what generational sin and trauma are. Also, <laughs> I'm going to say generational sin and trauma a lot, and now that I said that, you're going to notice every single time that I say it, so just, you know, maybe take a sip of your coffee every time I say generational sin and trauma. Anyways, <laughs> like I said, generational sin is often believed in Bible times as ancestral sin, 
um, which is the doctrine that individuals inherit the judgment for the sin of their ancestors. So if you think about the story of the man who's blind that Jesus encounters and people were like, oh, what did his parents do to cause him to be blind? Like, how did they sin to cause that in situations like that? Um, and then when we see Jesus come into the picture in the New Testament later on, he shows us that we aren't defined by generational sin and trauma, but that he is the healer of these things, which I'm so grateful for. Thank God for that. All right, so generational trauma isn't just trauma that's experienced by one person, but it extends from one generation to the next. Licensed clinical psychologist Melanie English says that generational trauma can be silent, covert, and undefined, surfacing through nuances and inadvertently taught or implied through someone's life from an early age onward. Which everyone is susceptible to this. Um, there are specific populations that are vulnerable due to their histories. So if you think um, like survivors of major world events like the Holocaust, things like slavery, racism, immigration, wars, and such can cause generational trauma throughout the years. It can be familial too, so within family systems or within groups of people of the same ethnicity or groups of people who experience trauma together. Uh, like I said, racism, domestic violence, sexual assault and abuse, lack of needs being met and hate crimes are also things that can result in generational trauma. So now that we know those definitions, we can move forward a little bit. So we all know the story of Adam and Eve, including the blessing that God gave them of being able to walk with him in the garden, to create and live in paradise, uh, just full intimacy with their creator. We know that Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden, which led them to a lack of trusting God. Here we see a blessing turned into a curse. We see Adam and Eve trying to take a shortcut to get to the blessing thinking that if they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they can get more of that blessing like with their own control, um, which obviously led them to hide from God and lie, so it broke trust and intimacy in both ways. Um, there's sort of a scarcity mindset that Adam and Eve adopt when they decide that they need to eat from the tree, um, even though their life was already covered with God's blessing. They already had the blessing. So now the big question is, if God's blessing is now covered with a curse, how can we flourish from what we've broken? So now if we fast forward a little bit to Abraham's story, God has given Abram a new name and a new blessing, that from him there would spring forth nations that would receive God's blessing if they chose to trust and live by God's wisdom. And God fulfilled this blessing. He still blesses Abraham despite his sin when he chooses to trust God and live in the wisdom that he gives. We can also see that the generational sin of lying and deception has been passed down through the generations. Uh, we can definitely see Abraham's trust for God as he follows through what is asked of him, which leads to more trust in God, but there's a lack of integrity in Abraham's life, a lack of trust and abundance of fear in certain areas of his life. So as we move into the life of Isaac, we see him also carrying the habit of lying and deception, um, which is a sin forward into his own life. So first of all, I just think about the story of Abraham trying to sacrifice Isaac, and I just am like, I cannot imagine the trauma that Isaac went through during that. Like, if you read the passage, it talks about how Isaac literally carried the wood that his father was going to sacrifice him on, and like... Abraham bound him, and, like, he had, like, the knife above him. Like, I just, like, when you actually think about that story, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, what trauma did he carry forward in his life from that? Um, so that's, that's just crazy. Uh, today we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 26, 
which starts with Isaac lying to Abimelech about his wife. Buckle your seatbelts, because it's going to be a little bit of a scandalous ride. All right, so now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. So you see, like, the self-protection, like, trying to, like, push it on his wife. Like, it's her fault. (laughs) Um, Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So that's that's fun. (laughs) It's like a telenovela. It's some... Interesting stuff. And also, like, you hear the story and you're like, wait, this sounds really, really familiar. Haven't I read this before? So let's look back to Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 20. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but point of it is that Abraham also lies about his wife, apparently twice, to the same king, saying that she was his sister. So it's just like, dude, like, you literally copied the exact thing that your father did. Like, you weren't even creative. Like, it was the same thing. (laughs) Like, what are you doing, man? Um, So even though it's, like, it's funny to look at it now and be like, what are are you doing? It's a, like, clear picture of generational sin right here. Isaac follows directly in his father's footsteps. Um, Like I said, like, literally the same exact thing to the same king. So this character of self-preservation that Isaac had, or that Abraham had, was directly passed down to Isaac from Abraham as Isaac watched the example and habits of his father before him. We see the lack of trust in God's blessing as God promised, uh, God's promise was to see Abraham's family flourish as well as protect Isaac and his family, but the family gives into fear, which leads to self-protection, which leads to things like lying and deception. Um, Abraham and Sarah, along with their offspring and their, his offspring's offspring, are building the foundation of Israel, which we see later on in the Bible, who we can see almost never trusts God's blessing or word. Even though God has proven himself over and over again, his people choose control and fear over trust, which if we look at our own lives, we can tend to do the same. Even though God has provided for us and worked miracles for us, we still can choose to not trust and to try to control Um, And we can see clearly how generational sin begets sin and causes trauma. Both Abraham and Isaac put their families in danger because of self-preservation and the sin of deception. So how does generational sin affect us? It adds layers and layers of brokenness over the years. 
This can add up. Habits are passed down through families that can perpetuate brokenness and sin. Now, obviously, this isn't necessarily on purpose. Like, I don't think any of us do these things on purpose to harm our families. Um, and generational sin and trauma aren't always just familial, like I was talking about earlier. It can be within systems. And this can be really overwhelming to think about, especially the idea of systems that have been created to oppress, but also when thinking about your own family, the things that have been passed down through generations that you've experienced. So maybe things that you see within yourself or within your own family. It can be hard to think, how can I end this cycle? Because at some point it needs to end so it isn't passed on any longer. Um, I want to share a little tiny bit about my own family, like the ways that generational trauma has affected me. Um, as a kid, I was the recipient of brokenness and unhealed trauma from my own family. Uh, they didn't seek to end cycles and generational sins and trauma in their own family. And so I often was the recipient of that because hurt people hurt people. And when you're unhealed, that can move forward into your own family. And so I became the recipient of anger and aggression towards who I was and what I believed in at a very young age. I was very vocal about my relationship with God. Like, my grandparents can attest to this. I would, like, sing and, like, pray in public and, like, talk to literally everybody that I could see, which you guys can never imagine that, right? Never. <laughs> um, but there's things that, like, as a kid that were said to me out of anger and aggression that I still hold on to as an adult that I've made meanings from that have carried into me. And you guys probably all think of like your own families or people in your life that have caused harm to you and meanings that you've made out of these things that are really hard to break from your life. Um, and so, yeah, so with my family, my mom married my stepdad and he was really young and he wasn't a Christian. And so I would do all of these things, you know, pray, worship, do all the things. And it was really, like, embarrassing for him almost because he wasn't used to that kind of lifestyle. It was just kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting to think about. And so there were situations where, like, I would be praying or worshiping and my stepdad would tell me to stop because it was embarrassing to him. And there's things that I still hold on to that shaped me, like, I remember there was a time I was, like, singing in the car, and I was really happy and worshiping, and he was angry, and he told me to stop singing. And even to this day, like, I still feel this, like, not shame, but almost embarrassment when I worship. And it's like, you think about these things, and you're like, why did this affect me in that way? Like, why am I still holding on to that? And it's weird how we make those meanings. Um... And we all carry hurt from our families because we're all imperfect <laughs> and relationships are really difficult. And I, I thankfully am finally in a place where I don't blame my family for these things. I wouldn't let them hurt me more, but I don't blame them. And I see that it was a lack of being able to find healing for themselves. Um, and when we don't get the things that we need as a kid or deserve as a kid, it can affect the ways that we grow in the ways that we interact with the world. Um, so, moving forward a little bit, how can we move forward and change, make change in our lives, character, and habits, and break free from these cycles that we've received? To move forward, I wanna talk about integrity for just a hot second and a tool that's been really helpful for me to heal from the generational sin and trauma that I've experienced. So, when we think about integrity, we usually 
think that it's synonymous, wow, that word, that word is hard to say, synonymous with morality. Like usually we think, oh, that person doesn't have integrity because they're committing these sins or they're doing this or that. But we can also describe and define integrity as workability, like where in our lives needs work and where in our lives are we already like working out of a place of like not that we've mastered things, but working out of like a healthy place. Um, and when we lack integrity in our lives in areas of, wait, sorry, we lack integrity in our lives in areas of brokenness and we all lack integrity because we're imperfect. So there's areas in our lives where we're like fully integrous, like again, like not mastered, like have it perfectly, but we're doing well in that area. We're showing up as our true selves. Um, but there's other areas in our life where we lack integrity because those are just areas that need work, like I said, that are workable. Um, so a question that we can ask ourselves is where can I surrender my lack of integrity and surrender more and more to God to learn to trust him more and more? And to also not give in to shame when we see those areas in our life where we're like, man, like I really wish that I was better at this. I wish that I was more intentional. I wish that I didn't get angry when things don't go my way. Like, how can I show up in these areas and not feel shame about them, but see that I can work? Um, so we call this space in between being full of integrity in area and not quite there as an integrity gap. Like I said, we can ask the question, where in my life am I lacking integrity without feeling shame? And we can break generational sin in our lives but we need the right tools and to be honest with ourselves and God. So the last thing I want to talk about is emotionally focused, which this is a tool that we've talked about a lot, especially me. I feel like I talk about it every time I preach. But I know for myself, I can get really overwhelmed when I start to see things about my character that I just, like, hate, you know? Do you ever get in that cycle where you're just like, man, like, I don't like myself. <laughs> like, why am I doing this thing or doing that thing? And yeah, I get in this cycle of like self-hate and blame and spiral into thoughts and lies about myself, thinking things that aren't true about my identity, but feel like in the moment when I start ruminating about these things, you know, you start thinking about them and it's hard to not think about those things. Um, some of these lies for me personally are, man, like I'm not a good friend or wow, I really suck at being a wife. <laughs> Or, man, I wish I was more intentional. This person's more intentional. Or this person is more adventurous. Why am I not that? And I know when I'm not in a good place, what it looks like is I feel like I can't show compassion for others or feel compassion towards others, but I expect to receive it in my life from others. When I start to become easily irritated with others, instead of me getting frustrated with myself and moving into self-hatred, which, you know, sometimes still happens because I'm human, I'm not perfect, I've learned to take this as a sign that I need to spend some time alone and I need to ask myself, what am I not getting that I need? Where do I not feel taken care of? Where are these generational patterns starting to show up in my life that I'm reverting back to? And why do I respond the way that I do? That's not, that's not cool, I don't like that. So to paraphrase Paul, Paul, not Paul, Paul. I do the things that I don't wanna do, but don't do the things that I know I should. And I feel like I can get stuck in that frame of mind and then I don't know how to reach out for help or know where to look because I just get stuck. So again, we've talked about a tool called Emotionally Focused quite a few times now. 
And I wanted to share about it again because there's a retreat coming up for it, which is amazing. I've done it a few times. It's called Emotionally Focused Foundation, and it's a two-day intensive experience that invites participants into an integrated missional life by embracing a new mental mode of discipleship. It's built upon the conviction that each person has a value in Jesus and vulnerable, authentic experience is transformative. We seek to describe and help participants recognize the obstacles to such a life, the wounds, unmet needs, vows, and ways of being that were developed. Um, these obstacles block your willingness and capacity for a vulnerable, authentic connection to God, who is a source for the abundance of life that Jesus promises. I didn't write this. This is really good, but I didn't write this part. Unless these impediments are brought to light, acknowledged, and confronted, they will continue to hinder your personal growth in relationship to God, others, and self, as well as your missional context. So this retreat, it's a two-day thing. It's $100 per person, which that can sound like a lot. If you need help, please don't let the money be an issue. Please reach out to us, and we will help you figure it out. Um, this co covers the cost of the weekend, material, food, fees, everything. Um, and I love emotionally focused because it starts to ask us the questions, like specific questions, like why do we lie? Why do I respond a certain way to certain people? It helps us look at ways that we've promised ourselves that we will always do a specific thing or will never be a specific way. Like you make these promises to yourselves when you experience trauma and you're like, oh, I will never let my voice be heard. I will never embarrass myself in front of people or I will always make sure I take care of everyone else before myself, things like that. Um, and I have personally found a lot of freedom in this program and continue to find freedom as I implement these things in my life. If you have any questions about it, please talk to me or Luis or Jeff. There's plenty of people that have gone through it and we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, God is so gracious that he brings healing and freedom through tools like emotionally focused, spiritual friendship groups, therapy and medication. Thank God for that. He's good for providing a new way of living to us. Kelly, you can pass out communion while I do this next part. So I wanna do like a little prayer practice kind of thing. Um, I heard it in my Lectio Divina 365 app the other day. It was one of the um, like devotions, I guess. So it's called a call to holiness. So uh, however you guys feel comfortable in receiving from God, thank you, with your hands out or your eyes closed, or if there's something you want to focus on, I would love to invite you guys into this prayer in these verses. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Father God, would you remind me now of the ways in which I have sinned in thought, word, or in deed. I take a moment today to confess my sins before you now. God of grace, thank you that when I confess my sins, you are faithful and just, forgiving and purifying me from all unrighteousness. I receive your forgiveness now.
Lamentations 3.24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Isaiah 43.1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We're going to take communion together. I don't know if you guys would like to stand. I invite you to stand as we take this together. Can you open this for me? (laughs) Thank you. Sometimes we need a little help from our friends to open our communion. Thank you. We're not brothers. Okay. The God who has redeemed us invites us into communion today. The God who loves you, even though he sees your lack, but never shames you, invites you to share in his body broken for you. And invites you to receive the blood that he has shed for you. Thanks, guys. Love you.